0: Good morning. I think that's the first time I've ever heard video projectors get an applause before. That was. Actually, we were applauding for the guys that fixed the projectors, right? All right, we are going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So if you want to turn your Bible there, Matthew 5, there's a note sheet in your folder. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the pouch there in front of you, or under the chair rack, somewhere, um, and if you'd like to take that and make it yours, we would love to give that to you as a gift. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, first book in the New Testament, first of four biographies we have about Jesus, and we'll be reading from chapter 5 beginning at verse 1. It says, Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to hear and consider these wonderful words. I pray, Father, you might give us ears to hear and minds to understand, and especially hearts to value and believe your truth and embrace it for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you a picture. This is is a Jeep CJ5 hardtop. This is not mine. But I had one just like it uh, during the first couple years of college. Mine had a Buick V6 engine, it had manual locking hubs on the front wheels, a three-speed manual transmission, and most importantly of all, a two-speed four-wheel drive transfer case. I don't know if that means anything to you, but basically, when you put that baby in low, low four-wheel drive, you could climb just about anything in your way, no matter how steep. And because of that, it also had something called a roll bar, and you can see a roll bar through the window, the back window of this Jeep. Now, if you don't know what a roll bar is for, let me explain. If the hill you are trying to climb is too steep, especially if you get sideways on that, like you're trying to turn around, which is really a bad idea, um, you might wind up looking like the Jeep in this picture, and the purpose of the roll bar is so that that keeps <laughs> that keeps the top of the jeep from getting crushed. more importantly it keeps your head from getting crushed. Now this is not my jeep either um, and I don't I don't really know the story behind this it's kind of strange because I don't it doesn't look like we're off road here anywhere. This looks like it's in town somewhere. And that police officer, I assume he's just writing an accident report and he's not actually writing a ticket and citing the guy for driving while upside down, which I assume is probably illegal. Now, this Jeep not only has a roll bar, but it has a bumper sticker. And uh, if you can't see it clearly on the vehicle, I've I've written it out for you there. It says, if you can read this, turn me over. The idea is if you have a Jeep or a four-wheel drive vehicle, you put that bumper sticker on the back upside down. And then if you roll over, then the bumper sticker goes right side up and people can read it and realize you need help. (laughs) As if they couldn't tell you were upside down. Unless they read the sticker. And that's, you know, that's the joke. That's the funny part of it. Because of course, of course we can tell when something is upside down. Right? Of course we can. Now, what would happen, though, if if the Jeep you were driving, what if your Jeep was right side up and everything else around you was upside down? wouldn't you still look upside down to everybody else? You say, well, that's ridiculous. That's impossible for for the world to be upside down physically. But what about spiritually? What about morally? What about when it comes to things like values and priorities? What, what about when it comes to ideas of right and wrong, good and evil? What about when it comes to our dreams and our goals and our ambitions, our ideas about what makes life worth living, how to live in a way that brings true and lasting happiness? What if your views about how life should be lived appear upside down to the world around you, not because you're upside down, but because the world is. That is pretty much the situation that's described for us here in Matthew chapter 5 in these statements that we have from Jesus that are called the Beatitudes. Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven. He's telling us what it looks like to be a member of his kingdom, what it looks like to trust him and follow him as your king. And what it looks like is you wind up appearing upside down to other people who do not follow him as king, but instead are following the values, the priorities, the dreams, the goals of this world because this world promotes ideas that are very different about what it means to be truly blessed to be truly happy if if we could write out the world's beatitudes contrary to what Jesus says it's not the poor in spirit it's not the meek and so on who are truly happy Now, the world's Beatitudes might go something like this. Blessed are the self-reliant, for they will be successful. Blessed are the wealthy, for they can buy whatever they want. Blessed are those with lots and lots of really nice possessions, for they will be comfortable. Blessed are the aggressive, for they can get what they want. Blessed are the morally uninhibited, for they can do whatever they desire without guilt. Blessed are the sexy, for they will be popular. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they will prevail. And blessed are those who tell people what they want to hear, for they will win elections and obtain great power. And <laughs> you know, the fact is, if we take Jesus seriously, and if we live life his way, if we embrace his values, his priorities, and try to live those out, The fact is, we're going to appear upside down, even though it's the world that's upside down, and the more upside down the world gets, the more upside down we are going to look. We won't fit in. We're we're going to look and sound kind of strange, out of sync, and sometimes even just flat out wrong. Wrong. And, you know, that can be pretty uncomfortable at times. It really can. And Jesus warned us about this. He did. He said to his disciples in John 15, 18, he said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. I don't know about you. Personally, I don't want to be hated. I really don't. I I don't like being thought of as stupid or crazy or bigoted. I would really prefer to have everybody who meets me think, I'm a really great guy. <laughs> I just would love that. But that doesn't seem to be an option here if I'm going to be serious about living right side up in an upside down world. I mean, if I, if I trust Jesus as my king, if I embrace his values then to some people anyway, I'm going to look really upside down. And if you embrace Jesus as your king and you embrace his values and priorities in your life and take him seriously, then the same is going to be true of you. You're going to look upside down. And that raises a question. And the question is, how how do we do that? How do we do that consistently in spite of the fact that most of us, I know I do, have a a natural desire to be admired by others, to be thought well of. How do we overcome the natural fear we may very well have of being rejected and, and actually consistently live out the values, the priorities of our king at least a big part of the answer I think is this we have to hear his teaching especially these beatitudes we have to hear his teaching as really good news as good news Right before these Beatitudes, in Matthew 4.23, just before Jesus begins teaching, it says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel means good news. He was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom, and then he begins to tell us that good news in Matthew 5. And that means that what Jesus is telling us here about trusting him as the king, about living as members of his kingdom, as as living out and embracing the values and priorities of his kingdom, what Jesus is telling us is really good for us. It's good news. Even if trusting him makes us look weird to the world because the world is wrong. The world is upside down. The world is messed up. The world is headed for disaster. And it's only in Jesus' kingdom, his right-side-up kingdom, that we find real love, real purpose, real joy that lasts forever. With him, the king. You know, look at the last thing Jesus says in these Beatitudes in verse 12. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And it's interesting, he says that right after he says, blessed are you when people speak evil of you on account of me. And the point here, Jesus is not telling us to embrace his values and his priorities. He's not telling us to live out of sync with the world because he wants to make us miserable. He wants to make us blessed, which means he wants us to be thoroughly and deeply happy. So when we listen don't don't hear this teaching as bad news you know don't think okay here's how to be a misfit here's how to be unpopular here's how to be a loser no here it is the really good news that it is how do we do that how how do we just you know fight against all the momentum all of that that personal natural desire we have for affirmation and admiration the fear of rejection how do we just resist that and just hear the king's teaching as good news i just want to point out a couple of practical lessons from here that i think will help us do this help us remember that the good news is good news okay and the first is this you've got to give him you've got to give the king your greatest attention. Got to give the king your greatest attention. Now it says in verses 1 and 2 here that Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them. And we're probably going to miss a few things there if we don't know something about the culture In which this is happening first of all the reason jesus sat down is not because he was tired it's not because he wanted to be comfortable that's what teachers in that culture did when they were going to teach officially you know it's it's just like the opposite of our culture in our culture you know the student well you see you guys are all sitting down and i'm standing up but that's not how it was then the teacher sat down. And when he sat down, he was like, okay, it's time to pay attention. And then it says that he opened his mouth. And you think, well, of course, how can you teach with your mouth closed? But there's more to it than that. There's more to it. It's, it's not just stating the obvious. What, what it is, it's a little signal that what follows is really, really important. It's, it's, it's sort of like this. In our culture, There are a few gestures and things we do when we're going to say something really important. For example, in a court of law, we might raise our right hand and we have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or in some situations, if we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, what do we do? We put our hand over our heart. And this is like that, this picture of him opening his mouth it's an old testament expression that meant that what followed was going to be really important and then you've got this word disciple it says his disciples came to him and the word disciple which we usually translate as follower it means that but it means follower in the sense of a learner you learn from the one you're following And what do the disciples do? It says they come to him, and they come to him because he's going to teach them. And everything put together here, the whole picture here, is that these people are paying very close attention to what the king is saying. Because that's what you do when someone is giving you good news, you pay attention. I remember when our boys were small, if you have little kids or you've had little kids, you know that sometimes getting their attention can be quite a challenge. Because they're busy playing or tearing your house apart or whatever they're doing. And uh, I remember it, it was funny, um, you know, they're, they're walking or running around doing whatever they're doing and I decided to just test them and see if they would actually listen Because Karen and I were talking and it just kind of looked like they're not paying attention at all. And so I just decided to test them. And just in the middle of whatever I was saying, I just went, I don't remember exactly what I was saying, but I said, you know, blah, 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 Disneyland, blah, blah, blah. It was hilarious. The second that word came out of my mouth, one of them came from a distant room and said, what? (laughs) What did you say? Because he thought he was going to hear some really good news. (laughs) Until he realized I wasn't serious. I was just testing. Isn't that cruel? What a heartless dad. But it makes a great sermon illustration, which is is really what counts. And As you pay attention when you think you're going to get some good news you pay attention. Imagine if I had some information. I said, I'm going to tell you about a great tasting food. Tastes good. It's very affordable. And here's the thing. If you eat it, it, I guarantee it. It will guarantee that you will never, ever get any kind of cancer. Now, This has been rigorously tested. It has been proven by numerous studies. This has been written about in all the top medical journals. If I had information like that, would you pay attention? If you believed me, you would. Here's the thing. What Jesus teaches us about his kingdom is way better than that. Really. I'm not remotely joking Because he's telling us how we can experience the greatest possible joy forever. And so if we believe him, we will give him the greatest possible attention. Greater than our attention, oh, let's say, to ESPN, or the newspaper, or Fox News, or Facebook. We'll give Him greater attention than we give to Netflix, or Jeopardy, or The Walking Dead. We will give Him greater attention than we give to iTunes, or our favorite bands, or our favorite talk show hosts. You know, there's a problem when we give more attention to the voices of the world than we give to Jesus. And that is that when we listen mainly to other voices and give Jesus maybe just 5 minutes here and there what happens is that Jesus voice starts to sound really faint and kind of strange it just it doesn't seem as real to us and pretty soon what the world is telling us starts to make a lot of sense And what Jesus says seems odd, out of date, irrelevant. But you know something? If you turn it around and you give Jesus your greatest attention and you pay less attention to the voices of the world, the opposite happens. And what Jesus says sounds true and meaningful and what the world says starts to sound shallow and empty. And that's how it should be, because that's how it is. So who gets your greatest attention? And I'm not sure you can define it purely in terms of minutes, but I think minutes count. Who gets your greatest attention? I mean, I think we just have to ask ourselves, who really has my best interests at heart? Who really wants my deepest happiness, not just my money, or my vote, or my approval of whatever it is they want to do. How do you know? How do you know who you're giving your greatest attention to? Well, here's one way to think about it. Think about the ideas and the beliefs you have about what makes life meaningful, what makes life happy. And then ask yourself, where did you get those ideas? Did you get them from Jesus? Either from what he said directly or from his apostles who gave us the scriptures? Or did you get them from someplace else? Let me, let me just raise a couple of for instances just to think about. These are just a couple ideas that came to my mind. If you think, for example, that having a lot of really nice possessions and spending a lot of your income on yourself, on things you don't really need, but you feel like spending your money that way is just fine, and that's going to make you happier ask yourself, did you get that idea from Jesus? Did you get that idea from paying close attention to him? Or, here's another one, if you think, as many professing Christians these days appear to think, that sexual activity outside of marriage is just fine, it's okay, as long as you really love somebody, or if you think that viewing pornography other people in movies or videos or magazines performing sexual acts or being nude, if you think that viewing that is no big deal, did you come to that conclusion by carefully considering the teaching of Jesus and his apostles, or did you get that somewhere else? Or, take Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. If you think that his command to be involved in making disciples of all nations does not really apply to you personally, and that you personally do not need to be concerned about that, you don't need to be actively involved in some way making disciples of all nations, does that show that you're giving Jesus your greatest attention? Now, I don't raise these issues to make anyone feel guilty, including me. But, To help us see how easy it is to pay more attention to other voices than we pay to Jesus. And yet, how important it is that we get our values, our priorities, our beliefs about what makes life meaningful. And true and good. And we get those from Jesus and not from somebody else. We have to give him our greatest attention if we really want to be blessed. If we really want to be blessed, we've got to give him our greater attention than we give to other voices, including our own. You've got to do that to hear what he says is good news. Give him your greater attention. One other lesson I see here. If you want to hear the king's teaching as good news, then think deeply about what he says. Think deeply about what he says. In other words, not only do we need to listen carefully, we need to think carefully about what it means and about how it applies to our lives. And I say this because of these statements Jesus gives us here in the Beatitudes, because many of these statements sound paradoxical. They're paradoxes. And a paradox is a statement that sounds self contradictory, like dry water. And Jesus says several things like that. For example, the one, Blessed are those who mourn. Here's what that's saying Happy are the sad. And it's like elsewhere in the Bible. Jesus says, If you want to live, you need to die. The one who loses his life for my sake will find it. The first are last. The last are first. And the whole point of speaking like this is to get people to think. It's to get us to think. Jesus wants us to hear what He says. He wants us to scratch our heads and wonder, "What? What does that mean? How can that possibly be true? How can the sad be happy? How can the poor be rich? How can the persecuted be blessed? Well, that's exactly what we're going to spend the rest of this series doing, is thinking about each of those statements and how they can be true and how they work out. But for right now, just realize that we've got to think carefully. That is essential to living a life that is blessed by the king, and yet we live in a culture which, frankly, does not value careful thinking a whole lot. I mean, we are much more accustomed to making decisions sentimentally. You know what a sentimental decision is? It's a decision you make by how you feel. Now, I hear people say this all the time. I say it myself. Well, I feel like. And we, we make decisions sentimentally based on how we feel rather than on good, careful, rational reflection on what Jesus teaches us. I mean, we live in a world of sound bites, we live in a world of emotional images, things designed to pull at our heartstrings. I mean, just think about the advertising that goes on every time we have a political campaign. Consider the huge issues our nation is facing and consider how often major political or economic or whatever decisions are made without careful, reasonable discussion of all the pros and cons. It is astonishing to me, for example, it is astonishing to me how a massive injustice like the killing of unborn innocent human beings gets justified by the use of a single emotional word, choice, as if saying that one word settles the issue and any further discussion is un-American. Well, it may be un-American to think deeply about controversial things, but it is not un-Christian. In fact, it is vital. If we're going to understand the good news that our king is giving us here, we're going to have to think, and we're going to have to think deeply. So let's don't expect it to be easy or simple or effortless. I don't know where we got the idea that if anything's hard to understand, it can't be true. Only easy things can be true. I, just, that life just doesn't do that. And if you're a parent, you got a little kid say, "Where do babies come from?" The answer's not simple. It's going to sound really weird, but it's not simple. And so we shouldn't expect the king's teaching about what makes life meaningful and what the true values. And living right side up. We shouldn't expect it to be simple. We shouldn't expect it to be effortless. Because it probably won't be. But here's the thing. If we want to be blessed. If we want to be blessed. And I can just about guarantee that that's what everybody in this room wants. You want to be blessed. Well if you want to be blessed. Realize it's going to be worth it. To pay attention. And to think carefully about what the king tells us. Let's pray. Let's ask him for his help.